Shakespeare wrote and put into the mouth of Hamlet to die, to sleep, no more. But in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. Why? The philosophies of this world will get you through many a battle. And today we're talking about how you get through crises. We must understand that the theologies of different religions and the philosophies of this world work up to a point. Otherwise, they wouldn't have so many followers. I mean, there is, there is, there is uh, some truth. There is some utilitarian value. And, and for some, they are a way to kind of find their own expression of God. I hope, by the way, that all of you in here have your own personal relationship with God. I hope you didn't just adopt the faith of your parents, because if you did, that means you have no faith, personally. God doesn't have grandchildren, just children. And so it is imperative for us to have a personal relationship with God. But back to, the, back to this, this, this whole scene. How do you get through crises? Lots of people do it a lot of different ways, but there's a problem. And the problem is, when, when all is said and done, what's real? I mean, so real that it's real beyond death as, as well as this side. So real that, that no matter how clever you get and how, no matter how good it sounds, that, that you still are facing what is lasting. What is, what is there? I heard a story. I like this kind of story because I was a, a philosophy minor in college. And, and, uh, and, uh, and it's about a philosophy class. And this, this, this professor at the end of the semester gives a final examination. And this is the final examination. He puts, a, he puts a chair on his desk. And he says, okay, with all you've learned this semester, prove to me that that chair doesn't exist. And so people just start writing furiously. You know, students, you know, people write, and some of them are just filling page after page. And after, oh, after a two-hour examination, some of them turned in like 30 pages. Except for this one guy. The only guy in the class, by the way, that got an A. He looked, he looked at the chair, and he thought for a minute, and he just wrote down two words. Walked up, turned in his paper, walked out of the class. Would you like to know what those two words were? What chair? <laughs> That's pretty clever, isn't it? <clears throat> but there's a problem. There really was a chair. The problem is, no matter how clever you get, if you avoid what's real, if you avoid what is objectively truthful, then you've got a problem. Now, what we need to do in order to go through criticism, the criticism of this world, all of the circumstances that will come against us, we need something that's real. And we not only need something that's real, but we need something that is intimate. Because God made this world not so that we could know the most, but so that we could have relationships especially a relationship with him, because when you get to the end of it, all you have is your relationship with him. 
Now, if you will turn in uh, John chapter 5 with me, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Remember, he was undergoing criticism from the Jews. They didn't know who he was. They hadn't, they hadn't thoroughly examined who he was yet. And so he's, he's coming against all this criticism. And the chief criticism, the most devastating criticism, is the one that got him killed eventually. And that is, they believed he was a blasphemer. They believed he was, he was trying to take the place of God. It says in John chapter 5, verse 18, this. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he also was calling God his own father. Now, the, the language here is so intimate that it's, it's like my father in a way that he's not any of your fathers. That's what make, made people man. And that's what gives, gives rise to the next and ultimate charge that says he was making himself equal, remember that word, equal with God. Equal is a, is a term of rank and power, isn't it? And so the charge to Jesus was, answer me on, this, on these grounds. Are you making yourself equal with God? Now I want, you to say, I want you to know something very important when you're going through tough times. This, is a, this will give you a great deal of freedom. You do not have to answer the world in the terms that they put the problem to you. You do not have to go and in their understanding, in their, I'm, I'm sorry, in their, in their pre-understanding, respond in their mentality. And that's exactly what Jesus did not do. He did not go and respond to them in their terms. You know why? Because they had entirely missed the point. Look at what he said. Look at, look at the next uh, uh, verses, verses 19 through like uh, 30. And I'm not going to read every verse to you, but I'm going to give you a summary. Here's what it says. Truly, truly, whenever Jesus says that, it means listen up. So listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees from the father. Uh, I, I'm sorry, he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does... These things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son. You know what the Greek word used here is, is philai. It comes from phileo. It means there is, a, there is a family relationship here. It's close. This is not agape, the unconquerable goodwill with which he disregards our sin and by grace saves us, which overcomes the wrath. And the, this is phileo. We're close. We've got this family relationship. The father loves the son. And then he goes on to, to give the different scenarios where he interchanges the son and the father to make them interchangeable. And it says, for example, in verse 22, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. It says in verse 26, for just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son to have life in himself. And finally, it's summarized in verse 30, which is the, in the last part of that verse where it says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, I want to give you a very important principle for the, for the answering of the world's problems. Here's the principle. We do not win by power or rank or authority. We only win by intimacy. We do not win 
by calculating how we can overcome the opposition. We only win by getting closer to people and getting closer to God. When they came to Jesus and they said, so are you ranking yourself with God? He could have said, no. Doesn't it say in Philippians chapter 2, he counted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped. Didn't he say that? Sure. So he could have said no, but he would not even answer in those terms. What he answered was, in essence, this isn't a matter of power. This is a matter of intimacy. This isn't a matter of rank. This is a matter of relationship. Do you understand how close I am to God? That's the only answer that you need. You see, in the philosophies of this world, especially in some of the philosophies of Christianity that, that have mistaken things in Christianity, we, we say, this is about rank. This is about hierarchy. And that simply isn't true. When we, when we do our relationships with one another, right away we calculate who's got the most power. That is, that presumes, just as this question presumes, that presumes division. That presumes independence. Let me tell you a little incident. I, I'm, I, I was talking with a, uh, a guy I know last week, and he's, he's trying to kind of figure out his relationship with this girl. So he thought it would be a good idea, this Christian guy, he thought it would be a good idea if they got some premarital, uh, Christian premarital material and just kind of go, do, you know, do a, do a, a uh, I don't know, kind of a run-through, you know? Just kind of a, not, not anything serious, just a run-through. Let's work, uh, let's work through these scriptures. Let's work through. So I was talking to him about it, and I said, I knew he was doing it. I said, so how's it going? He said, well, it's uh, very interesting. I said, what do you mean? What, what, like, what, what is it? I haven't, I haven't uh, gone through, you know, Christian premarital stuff in a long time, so I don't even know what's in it anymore. And, and, uh, and he says, well, it's, it's, it's like... It's useful in that it, in it, in it, in it tries to anticipate all the problems and it tries to, it tries to uh, calculate like who would have the most say where. So, so, so it's interesting. I said, really? I said, tell me about that. It, it, so it, it tells you ahead like how you're going to make the decisions, right? Yeah. He said, yeah, that's what it's trying to do. I said, oh, good. Well, tell me about that. He says, oh, he says, he says, it's very interesting. He says, like, they, they give you all these scenarios, and you're supposed to say, okay, how much, how much authority do you think you'd have in this, and how much authority do you think your wife would have in this? Like, what would, the, what would be the percentage, you know? Like, picking out a car. Like, what would be your percentage? What would be her percentage? Like, picking out a house. What would be your percentage? What would be her? What, like, picking out decorations. What would be your percentage? What would be hers? Like, where you work. Like, where you move. Like, where, like what? On, on, on down the line. So I said, so how's it going? <laughs> and he went, I said, what's that mean? He said, well, we're getting into quite a lot of debates. <laughs> I finally said to him, do you realize that the structure of the question creates the division? Do you realize that from the very beginning, they're presupposing that you cannot be unified? They are presupposing that you are divided. And so that's why you've got to calculate who gets power where. Do you understand? That's the way of the world. That wasn't the way of Christ. Christ didn't say, well, you know, it's like 60-40, my father. 60, I'm 40, you know. Or even, you know, 51-49. No, it, was, it, it wasn't 50-50. It was just, it's closeness. 
It's closeness. We make our decisions on the basis of whatever I can do to defer to, to make our, our relationship closer. Do you realize what it would be? Now, I realize I'm terribly naive at this. But I've been doing this for like 27 years, and, 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 I, and I still am naive at it with my wife. But I, do you realize what it would be if, if like your kids were talking to some of their friends? And those of you who are still in a two-parent household, your kids were talking to some of their friends, and their friends asked your kids, so like, who runs the place? You know? I mean, really. I mean, really. Like, who's, like, who's in charge? Who really does that? Do you realize how cool it would be if your kids had to stop and say, well, I don't know. I, I, I can't tell. They're just like together on everything, so I don't know. What would that say? Wouldn't that say that I have parents who have a relationship that is above what any given answer can pull them apart. I, I, I have parents who are unified. They are one. Think of the security in that. That might be terribly naive, huh? But I think it can be done. I realize that decisions need to be made, but why not make them in a way that, well, whatever. I mean, what will bring us closer? What, what, will, what will enhance our relationship? Let's make, let's make that decision. What would it be like? The church is going through huge transition right now, as you're well aware. And every time the church starts to go through transition, people come up with, hey, who's running this joint anyhow? I mean, they do. I mean, that's our, that's our question. Who's running this joint? The elders or the pastors? What it would be like, what would it be like if, if the elders and pastors just kind of stood around going, well, I, I don't know. I just kind of always thought we did stuff together. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if neither one, neither side, they go, oh, this, this is what I, oh, this is my, this is, wouldn't it be great? See, that's Jesus' way. Jesus' way is, it really, the, the decision that you come up with does not matter unless it really affects the relationship. And the decisions that affect the relationship are what matters. You can have the most efficient machine in the world. I mean, humanly speaking, organizationally speaking. It says in, in Corinthians, if you have the kind of faith, you know, that's what you're, this, this, that you can remove mountains. Why, well, that's pretty efficient, isn't it? That's very, that gets a lot of work done, right? Like that. But you don't have love. So what? It doesn't matter. So Jesus says at the very beginning here that what is primary is unity. And unity conveys equality. You can't get to unity by equality, but you can get to equality by unity. Remember that. Now secondly... When Jesus says, okay, if the most important thing then is the relationship between God and the Father and your reflection of me, then let's go on to say how God has made an overture of a relationship with you. Now, Jesus is saying, I know you don't believe me. He says, in, as a matter of fact, in uh, verse uh, um, 31. 
says, if I alone bear witness of myself, my, my testimony is not true. Now, later on, he says, well, it is true because I'm the truth. But he said, what I'm saying to you right now, this is the context. I realize that like in the court of law, if I just if, if, if you just have to take me at my own word about myself, that's inadmissible evidence. And so Jesus is saying, OK, let's just wipe that part out. Let's see all of the ways that God made overtures to you in order to bring us close together so that we could be close together, so that you and God could be close together. Let's just count the ways. And he starts going down through the next section, verses 31 through 40. He gives four ways that God has done this. And again, we won't read through them all. But, but he says he did it through the prophets. He did it through John, especially. He did it through works. He said, he said, you guys, come on. You've seen what I've done. Nicodemus came to me because of what I've done. Just take a look. You all can tell the difference between sales and service. You know, you know the difference between somebody trying to, you know, put one over on you. It's something you may not need. And, and somebody who is real and can fix it. You know that. Last week, it was, it was interesting. We, uh, uh, Beck and I live in uh, apartments, you know, because we don't like the maintenance of life. And uh, so we live in apartments and, uh, um, and my kids call it the projects. We live in the projects. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a couple of weeks ago, some thieves came through in the middle of the night and, and stole and were stealing uh, stuff out of cars, you know. And so they, got my, they hit my son's car and stole his uh, uh, stereo. That's, I told him, that's what you get for having a nice stereo. Yeah. Didn't, <laughs> didn't touch my car. Um, <laughs> And, but anyhow, he's away at school, so his mama was doing the mama thing, you know, trying to go around and get the car fixed for him. And, and, uh, and, 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 a, and the insurance company is wonderful. Oh, they were wonderful. And so we went to a little Ford place, and they, you know, fixed the door, and they went to a little thing, and they caught the guys. They caught the guys. This was really cool. My wife is so happy. She's so big on justice. She was, she was happier than they had done it and caught it and, ca- and got caught than this. They had never done it at all. Figure that one out. <laughs> She was just so pleased. She was going to the policeman. Way to go. I'm for you guys. You know? So anyhow. So, so the point is that, that um, um, what was the point? <laughs> I love these stories so much. I just kind of lose. No, we're, we're at the, we're at the, 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 uh, the uh, stereo replacement thing because the, the, uh, uh, insurance company's been so nice, and, and so they, and they damaged the stereo. They got the stuff out there, but it was damaged. So we got to go to get the thing replaced. So we walk in, and uh, and they and they put the thing in, and then the, this little uh, technical guy drives the car back. And there's this, and I and I had heard this before. There's this, like this whirring sound out of this right speaker, and so he he drives it up. He says, you know, I can't help but notice that when you have the have a uh, uh, you, have, you have a revving sound in your uh, in your uh, it's picking up the engine noise, and I said, well, what's wrong with that? And he said, well, you have a bad tweeter. Well, I was a little insulted, but <laughs> and he, but you know, guys, they don't want to they don't want to admit that they don't know what something is. I said, hmm, bad tweeter. <laughs> you don't say. He said, oh, yeah. I said, so what does it take to fix a tweeter? He says, well, it's very complicated. 
He says, you got your tweeters, you got your woofers, got your subwoofers. He just goes down through this thing, you know, for like for five minutes. I'm going, hmm. <laughs> so I went back to the original point. So what's it take to fix this little thing? I mean, it's just a little speaker like this. So what's it take to fix that thing? He says, well, you can't just fix one tweeter. Because well, if you break one tweeter, you got to have two tweeters. Because they come in pairs. I said, okay, what's, what's it take for two tweeters? So he says, well, at this point, I'm talking to this little, this little uh, installation guy, and this like salesman hops right in the middle. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm staring at a salesman. He's going, we have some of the best stereo equipment. He said, we could do you a nice job. He says, no, we always do. I mean, I mean uh, uh, insurance companies go along with this, you know. But he says, we could put in a $500 new sound system. I said, man, I can't do that. I, I just got a broken tweeter here. <laughs> I can't be good. That's ripping off the insurance company. I couldn't do that. Oh, it's done all the time. Now, by me, it's not. So I go back and I said, look, you know, they said I got a bad tweeter. What do I do? And so the guy goes, so what? Well, the insurance company's real nice. Go back and, and, and uh, you know, just get it fixed. So I walk back in, you know. And, so, they, you know, they look at me and they say, what, what are you here for? And I say, ah, my tweeter's bad. And, they, and, they, <laughs> and there's this little guy standing and he, said, yet he's not, he hasn't got a uniform on, none of this shirt or anything. Not, but he's just like hat and he's about 40 years old, shorts, relaxed, you know, but really cool. Got that little hat and a T-shirt on. And he says, well, I think I can help you. I used to head up the installation uh, thing here and I, I could just help you. So let's go, let's go out and see what's wrong with your car. So I said, so what's wrong? He said, I, my, I said, my tweeter's broke. He said, he said, hmm. He said, well, what's the symptoms? What, what's that? I said, well, it's just, it picks up when you, in the, in the, it comes out. <laughs> he said, hmm. He said, I've got good news for you. I said, what? He said, your tweeter's fine. I said, well, that is good news. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with it? He said, well. It can be one or two things. He gave, he gave me a whole, he gave me like a, a four minute lecture on the speakers and a Ford system and how those very seldom have any trouble. But if you're picking up engine noise, then it either is an amplifier or, the, or a ground wire just come loose. He said, give me, give me five, 10 minutes with it and I'll just, and so I handed him the keys, drove around, came back, fixed. I said, holy cow, that's incredible. That's so great. I said, okay, what do I pay? He goes, oh no, I just, I just like to fix stuff. I said, what? <laughs> he said, I just like to fix stuff. And I, said, I looked at him and said, do you know how much I love confidence? He said, confidence? I said, no, I like that too, but confidence. People who know what they're doing and people who just love to do it. They love to improve the world because this is what they can do. That's you. And I thought about God. I always think about God. But Jesus came into the world having the ability, wanting to serve so that people could be saved. I mean, it says that right in this passage, so that you might be saved. And it says, that's in verse 34, by the way, so that you might be saved. But the way he did it was to give us what is irreplaceable, that, that thing that fixes life. And that carries us through. But it wasn't only by prophets and works. It was also by the witness of the Spirit. And then we come down to the real central portion of this passage. 
And the central portion is this. The greatest gift that he gave us was the gift of the word of Scripture. So that through that word, we could form a relationship with him and he could come through the word to us. Because it's a personal thing. The word is not just a bunch of information put down in Scripture. The word is personal. And it's a way that he comes to us personally. Look at what it says in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And he goes on to say, you know, you're looking at men here. You're looking for what's objectively true. I mean true in the sense of what religions say. But you're missing the point. He goes on down here to say, verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, that is what he wrote, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. That's the point. The point is that to get us through the criticisms and the trials of life, and even the door of death, God gives us this word, and forms a relationship with us through this word. If you, if you begin to read scriptures looking for Jesus, you'll find him throughout the scriptures. Jesus said, the scriptures that Moses wrote, they were about me. How many pictures do you find in the Old Testament that you can't clearly see? It's about me. Remember when Moses tapped the rock and the rock came open and, and what flowed out was what saved people from death? That was a picture of Christ. Remember what Moses wrote about the raising of the serpent on the pole in the wilderness? And that which had made the people sick, when they looked upon that serpent, they were healed. That's a picture of Christ taking on the sins of the world and the very sins that made us sick. When we look upon he who took on the sins of the world, we're healed. That's a picture of Christ. You know that. You know that, that as Moses talked about and wrote about the manna being given to the people every day in the wilderness, give us this day our daily bread. That that was a picture of the bread of life being given to us. Whatever we need, God has supplied. That's a picture of Christ. You know the, the, the wonderful Passover meal? Every element of that Passover meal points to Christ. You know that. You know the, 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 the people in the Old Testament, the prophets, weren't just prophets in their own rights. They were foreshadowings of Christ. You know what Joseph went through. That was a foreshadowing of Christ. You know Deck, the first priest. That was a shadowing of the, foreshadowing of the high priest. You know Joshua, how he led us into the promised land, how he led the children of Israel into the unseen promised land. That's a foreshadowing of Christ leading us into the unseen promised land. It's all about Christ. You've read the Old Testament and you've seen, if you're a student of the Bible, how many prophecies there are of the Messiah. Over 300 prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Do you know that they did a, this was in Josh McDowell's book a long time ago when he published it. There was a statistician, Stoner was his name. And he did, by the, ways of, by the laws of probability, some calculations. He picked out just eight of those prophecies of the Messiah, written 400 years before the Messiah lived. And he did the calculations about the chances 
of fulfilling just those eight prophecies. These were prophecies that had nothing to do with what Christ could have done on his own. They all had to happen to him. And he came up with this. In order for any person to fulfill just eight of those prophecies 400 years later, the chances were one in 10 to the 17th power. That is 10 with 17 zeros written behind it. Let me give you a picture of that. Take the state of Texas, cover the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. Mark, pre-mark one of those silver dollars. Somewhere in the state of Texas, that silver dollar is buried. Tell a person, drive as long as you want across the state of Texas on top of all these silver dollars. Whenever you want, you get out of that car and you reach down as far into that two feet of silver dollars as you want and you pick up a silver dollar. The chances of that person coming up with the marked silver dollars is the same as the chances of one person fulfilling just eight of those Old Testament prophecies 400 years later. The chances of one person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. Jesus fulfilled every one of 300 prophecies. And so he's looking at the Jews and he's going, Hello. I mean, what you've seen so far, what's up? We have this word. We have this incredible word. Through which, and those of you who read this with great regularity know what these words do in your heart. This is not just learning about God. These scriptures are such a personal witness of God that they give us what we need to have the relationship with Him to go through the crises we have, including the crises of death. You know this is not just a group of words. This is the voice of the creator and sustainer and sovereign God of the universe who gives us what we need to not depend on everybody else. Jesus kept saying to him, you know, you're looking to each other. As long as you look to each other, you're never going to be what you need to be in looking to God. You're going to be, in other words, he was saying, I heard, it, I heard it written once, there is no formula for success, but there is a formula for failure. And the formula for failure is try to get everybody else's approval. Jesus said, don't look to them, not for approval. Look to God. And when you look to God through his word, what happens is you hear from God. Let me give you an analogy and I'll sit down with this. Some time ago, it's a true story. A little girl named Mary was born with a cleft palate. Now, back in those days, they didn't have operations for cleft palates. And, and, and she was functionally okay, but she, you know, the sound and, and, the, and the appearance uh, was very distracting. And even though Mary had a wonderful family, <clears throat> she still grew up seeking to be like the other kids. You know, just wanting that approval. And, and she never got it. 
She just never got it. She always felt different. One year, when Mary was in grade school, she had this wonderful teacher. I mean, this teacher made all the difference, not just for Mary, but for all her kids, because this teacher absolutely believed in these kids. I mean, to the point that she would pull out of these kids what no other teacher could, you know, just because she just, and, and, and she didn't treat Mary special. She just treated her with the utmost of respect and the utmost of, of care. And, 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 and so Mary was really drawn to this woman. Well, one day they were having hearing tests in, in grade school. Remember when, this was a long time ago, they used to give you hearing tests, only they weren't very clinical. It was like, go to the other side of the room, hold one ear, and listen to what I whisper. You know, it was that kind of thing. Remember that? And so they were, having, they were doing this, and the kids were going over, and the, and the teachers would ask real simple questions like, you know, what color is the sky, and so just to, just to give you a hearing test. Mary had another problem that she'd never wanted to tell anybody, and that was she, she was deaf in one ear, but she... She thought that she had enough differences and she just didn't want anybody to know about it. So year after year, when they did these hearing tests and she was supposed to cover up her good ear, she cheated. And she wouldn't cover up her good ear. So like the other years, it was her turn to go to the head of the class and the teacher was in the back of the class. And she was supposed to cover up her good ear, but she didn't. And so she was listening extra hard And from the back of the class, this is what she heard. I wish you were my little girl. Do you know what that did for her? To hear from the authority. To hear from one of the most powerful, as in the sense of credible people, she'd ever known. Just a desire for a personal relationship. I want to tell you that same thing happens when you hear this word. This isn't just for everybody. It's for you. Pray with me. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus that wants us to have a personal relationship with you. So that the battles of life are not about winning or losing. The battles of life are not about being right or being wrong. The battles of life are about getting close to the sovereign God of the universe. You and calling you daddy and crawling up in your lap and feeling your arms and knowing you'll hold on to us even when we can't hold on to you. Oh, thank you for this word. And thank you that when we hear it, thank you that when we read it, we know. That voice is for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.